one thing people don't realize is, is pharmaceutical drug companies make more money selling their data than they do selling drugs, which is right. pretty crazy when you think about it. And I think right. it's arguable that loan officers and lenders have access to even more valuable data. Now you can't necessarily sell it, but you can certainly use it to provide a better customer experience, right? So can you bake in workflows where it's like, you know, some of their kids are XYZ, you know, age. So you start to kind of bake in these workflows and triggers around the data to almost have your own predictive analytics engine in a sense, right? I know they're potentially going off to school or getting out of the house at this age. I'm going to reach mm -hmm. out. I know your car loan's paid off, right? So I think, sure, we do the birthday campaigns. We feel like we have some kind of cool, interesting content around that, whatever. But it's like, you know, a lot of people are doing that these days. So what are the unique things you can do that stand out that are automated, but are building a relationship with someone? I think those right. people that are thinking in those terms can increase that repeat business. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Spencer Dusbout. He is the founder of Adium. It's a CRM AI company based out of the US. And we have a conversation about technology primarily. We talk about predictive analytics. We talk about ideas in terms of how to integrate technology better into your loan process and just some of the trends that he's seeing given his unique position in the mortgage space. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Also on this Ask the Expert segment, I'm talking to Ruben Gorsh from Beaded about why the closing experience matters. Before I jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. As the borrower is filling out the app, it knows what documents that they're going to need. And we're finding more and more often that the clients are actually gathering their documents when they're filling out the app, because let's face it, most people don't know the answers to these questions. And if you provide them with a link to upload documents right after the app, more and more of them are actually doing that, which shortens the time it takes for you to get an answer, as well as to underwrite the file. I encourage you to check them out at lendesk.com slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Spencer. Hey, Spencer, welcome to the show. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Hey, before we jump in, we're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about kind of what things that people are doing right now that are working, but maybe just to give people context, something a little bit about who you are and your background and connection to the mortgage space. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been an entrepreneur really my entire life. You know, I've kind of found myself creating technology in the real estate space, you know, a couple of years out of college doing kind of predictive data analytics, generating leads around that. You know, I think it was through that I got a great exposure to sort of the real estate sector as a whole. And began to see some of the challenges around. I mean, look, no real estate transaction is the same. It always seems to come down to the wire. There's a lot going on there. But sort of it's high stress. And, you know, just kind of understand that persona, like realtors, loan officers, I feel like, you know, are some of the few people that are expected to pick up their phones day and night, not even knowing who's calling. And so just saw an opportunity to build technology that can really help give, in this case, we you know, primarily work with mortgage professionals, but you know, help give them back time, help automate you know, kind of their day-to-day -day operations and kind of help streamline a lot of their processes. So I think for me, it was just the exposure of building something and and seeing some of the challenges and just that there wasn't a lot of great technology. And it's an opportunity to build some technology and bring it into the space. Right. Awesome. So what is predictive analytics? I think I know. So for our listeners, what was that? Because I heard of a company called Revaluate, I think it was called. I don't know, you probably heard of them. And is it still a thing or has some technology things made that less effective? Yeah. So I think just defining predictive analytics, it's basically predicting the likelihood of outcomes. So for instance, you take somebody that 
you know, owns a house and their last kid just went out to college, right? They're more likely to be want to downsize or sell their home than somebody that, you know, has three kids that are in grade school, right? And they just bought a new right. home, right? They're a lot less likely. I don't do this anymore. I think it's an interesting space. But I think for us, it was more trigger-based. It was understanding like what are certain life events that cause people to want to sell their homes? And can we kind of put content in front of them at the right time to generate leads and sell them to realtors? That was essentially the business. I think there's some really cool stuff happening with this now where you have these really complex sort of, you know, algorithms using artificial intelligence that, you know, are going a lot deeper than just kind of the, you know, what are the events that are happening? But that's sort of what I did. And I mean, it can certainly work, but I think there's a lot of people doing it at this point for sure. Right. I heard of, uh, I think it was Target uses that on people's purchasing behaviors and they can tell what like kind of life events. And so the story goes is that this guy's daughter got coupons for like baby supplies or something. And so because of her other purchasing patterns and they went in and reamed out the manager and said like, how could you do this? And then next thing you know, they find out that their daughter's pregnant. And it was like, the crazy part was that Target knew they were likely pregnant based on their purchasing patterns before the parents did, which is like, so that's predictive analytics essentially, is like this idea of like using current behaviors to predict opportunities and stuff. Okay, so you're into predictive analytics. Right now, I mean, the market's changed a lot. AI has become a huge thing. And certainly it's, I think AI has been under the surface, been growing for a long time. And now all of a sudden it's become usable to the average person, which is makes it interesting. So talk to me about what you see with AI and how it's going to you know, help and potentially harm the average mortgage broker. Let's talk about both sides because everything has a yeah. good and bad, right? So tell me what you think about that. Yeah. So I think what's really been interesting about sort of, you know, I assume you're talking kind of about chat GPT and this, you know, open AI and really, I think what's, you yeah, these about- natural language model programs yeah. that allow you to basically, you know, do things that you would have to do programming or to do yep. is very easy to do now. For sure. So I think what that has changed is to your point, that has put the power of AI at basically everyone's fingertips, which has leveled the playing field to an extent. I think what has happened historically is, you know, look, building AI models that work, right? Netflix is a great example, right? Like Netflix is able to kind of predict like what type of shows that you want to watch. And mm-hmm. believe me, that costs Netflix tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to get right. Like it just did because they had so much data. They had someone that was way smarter than, you know, probably anyone I know. Yeah, way smarter than us. Like I was some serious math skills. Yep. So they had someone behind the scenes kind of figuring that out. So that got kind of translated to, you know, your experience interactions with a Netflix, right? And so the point is, is that it was not accessible to just someone that isn't really talented programmer or has a lot of access to data. So I think that's what's been fascinating about this chat GPT kind of open AI initiative is it's putting the power in the hands of really the everyday consumer. And so I think there's a couple of different directions where this goes. It is relatively new. So I think you're seeing momentum around this concept such as plugins and what we would call kind of prompt engineering or prompt programming, which mm-hmm. basically what it does is think of it as like you go in an app or on a website and there's like the little help thing at the bottom right. Right now you ask it some questions and it basically, you know, might spit out some answers or, but it has to be pre-programmed. You know, when you kind of harnessing the power of chat GPT and like a plugin sense, you might be talking to, you know, a really kind of intelligent, obviously not sentient, you know, intelligent AI. Not yet. Yeah. (laughs) Or do we really know, you know, but yeah. So the idea is, is that, you know, you could almost go in there and say, Hey, look, like, 
in an Amazon app, like, Hey, I really want to find this product. What's something that I can find that I can get delivered tomorrow. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's going to answer that. But I think what chat GPT has done is it's created the power for anyone to kind of integrate something like that in their apps, whether it's a new startup or, you know, business. Right. And I think conceivably you could have a mortgage broker. I'm not sure it's the most relevant example. We get to relevant examples, but I think just to kind of illustrate the point, the power of chat GPT is you can even do this today. If not, it's like, it's probably weeks, months away where you as a mortgage broker could have your own kind of, you know, bot chat GPT thing on your website, helping your borrowers, right? Or maybe you, uh -huh. you send them a link and say, Hey, look, if you have any questions, like this is my AI assistant that can answer complex questions. Like, why do I need to get you these documents? Okay. Well, I, you know, it's actually going to answer the questions and you could be able to do that without programming like whatsoever. Right. And so I think kind of looking at it, it's like, how can a mortgage broker, you know, use this for their own benefit? I think it's understanding that, you know, how can you improve your borrowers experience, if you will, and it's how can it also save you time, right? And so, you know, I think that if you haven't played around with ChatGPT, it's free, I would encourage you to do so, but you can ask it about kind of anything, right? Maybe you're thinking about, I want to open up a new brokerage or do a deal in the state. Well, I mean, that's a lot of research to figure out what does it take to get licensed in the state? What needs to happen? Mm -hmm. You could ask ChatGPT, it'll just tell you, right? I mean, it could right. save you a lot of time. And so I think those are kind of the ways I think it's going to help. It's going to put the power of AI kind of mortgage brokers can harness that to create a better experience and save themselves time. And then I think on the flip side of like, where is this going to be disruptive? I think, you know, you're going to have some people try to come into this space and leverage that to maybe underscore the value of what a human being can do, right? So you're going to get some tech company. I mean, currently we've seen this in, in real estate, right? Like, you know, all these companies have sort of come and gone that, hey, we can come in here and charge you a flat fee and we don't really need to pay a real estate, you know, you know, two and a half, three percent. Mm -hmm. You know, they failed for a variety of reasons. But I think that this could open the floodgates to some different tech companies that think, hey, we can kind of, you know, squeeze realtors or mortgage brokers a little bit by leveraging technology to do parts of their jobs. I think you're going to see some of that. I think it's not an immediate threat. But kind of looking on the horizon, I think that's something to be thinking about. And obviously, yeah, people will be yeah. using yeah. Chat GPT to negotiate their sale of their house, but the other guy's using it as well. And it's like, who's got the better, you know, it's like my robot is going to compete with your robot to see who comes up with the best offer here. And yeah, I totally agree. I think that we're going to see some, you know, a lot of these little businesses that are popping up using that natural language program are going to not be around. Like, there are a lot of them is just experiments. A few of them are going to be amazing. A lot of them are just, like experiments in who knows what's going to happen. I think back to like when Henry Ford was making the automobile and people know the Ford name, but there were a hundred other companies making cars and we don't know who they are today. A lot of them are gone, swallowed up or just, you know, went under because it was like, oh, we see this new technology. It's going to transform travel, locomotion. You can go somewhere and drive in three hours and, you know, not have a horse. And I feel like AI is doing that as well. But right now you have no idea who to bet on in terms of yeah. which horse is going to win or which, you know, car company, if you use that metaphor. And so, yeah, I think that's interesting. And I also think that like, we're going to see the AI enhanced salesperson is going to be the first stage of this evolution. It's not going to be like just pure AI. It'll be like somebody who has that as a tool set that will make them much more effective in all aspects of their job. And if you don't do that, you're going to be at a disadvantage. The person who has figured that out. That's my yeah, opinion. but I totally agree. And I think what could end up happening is that just, you know, it's like a bunch of years ago, having an MLS feed, you know, or a kind of property feed in your website was really hard to do. And now it's a 
you know, $10 WordPress plugin. Right. And I think it's going to be something similar to that. So yeah, I think I, like, I love that there's always new change. Like personally, as a guy who is wired for this, like, I mean, there are some terrifying aspects of, I've watched a couple of videos on the sort of dark side of this whole technology that's not being really properly regulated. And it's kind of crazy, but you're like, I also more optimistic. I'm like, well, we'll sort that out. Like, you know, I think. Okay. So then what are the things are you noticing technology wise? Since you're, you know, you've got a CRM that you guys have built that's got a lot of technology baked into it. You had an AI tool that you built. You've been predictive analytics. You've done a lot of stuff. What other sort of technology or things are you seeing successful brokers are using right now that, and it could be AI or something else, or either technology and or tactics that are working when it comes to integrating technology? Yeah, I think we've had a pretty dramatic market shift from even, you know, nine months ago today or, you know, certainly a year ago today. I think it's a different market where it was raining refinances and basically the MO was we just got to keep up, right? We just got to process mm-hmm. as many of these things as we can. And now it's a market where it's like, it's not raining refinances. And it, the idea is we need to maximize every single opportunity that we have. And we need to differentiate ourselves by providing the best in class experience. I mean, that's ultimately the best way to fight kind of the AI wave, you know, for the record is just looking to provide a best in class experience. Like, you know, someone's buying a home, like they're not buying a sweater online somewhere, right? They're, they're going to mm-hmm. work with you. But so I think for us, like what we're seeing is there's been a shift in the industry and this is all the way from big banks, right? That are doing billions of dollars in volume every year to individual, you know, you know people have their own brokerages, right? I think they're saying, wow, I'm no longer just keeping up and surviving and trying to do as many loans as, as I can do. I need to find ways that I can get back to those numbers or a fraction of those numbers. And okay, let's look at technology to maybe help us do that. And so I think that's what we're seeing is we're seeing it just before we get into more specifics, a general shift where people are saying, how can I use technology to maximize every single opportunity and provide the best experience possible? And so a great example of this is lead conversion, where it's like you get a referral from maybe it's a realtor where you're paying for an online lead or whatever. You know, those leads mattered, you know, a year or two ago. But if they fell through the cracks, you still had so much on your plate that it wasn't going to be the end of the world. Nowadays, it's like any opportunity you get, it's like you got to make the most of it. And so I think what we're seeing is people are starting to understand that like, we need to do whatever we can to maximize every opportunity and put technology in place. And so when you get a new lead, you get a new referral, how can I reach out to them immediately? Right. How right. can I communicate with them via text? I mean, most home buyers in the United States these days are millennials. They prefer to be communicated with via text. They don't check their emails. Right. So mm-hmm. a lot of antiquated software systems are all email. It's like, okay, so how can I reach out right away? How can I text them when they start an application and they kind of stop or get stuck? How can I re-engage them? These are the types of things people are thinking about. It's basically, I'm getting a lot less bats. How can I make sure I'm not striking out? How can I make sure that I'm having the best at bats possible? I'd say that's one of the biggest trends we're seeing. I'm curious, have you seen that as well? Yeah, for sure. We actually just did a conference and it was all about increasing your conversion rates because like lead count is down. So you got to make the most out of every lead. And so we focused a lot of our energy around just having those discussions around increasing conversion rates and so I totally agree with you. And the idea of speed to lead, that's always been important. But like, you know, in a market like this, especially for, you know, in the US, even in Canada, the refinance market, people only refinance if they really need to. Like they're not breaking that other mortgage or paying that off unless it's necessary. And so it means a lot of the volume. It's interesting though, that like, again, as a Canadian, like we have shorter terms, typically one to five year terms, you guys have 15, 20, like 30, whatever. 
And so the opportunity that was in the refinance game that is not here right now. And now it's like, it may come back, but probably not to the same degree, but like some businesses seem to be built around it. like better mortgage was like huge company that did tons and tons of refis and then rates go up. And then they're like, holy, they're laying off people on zoom, like by the thousands, you know? And so yeah. it seems like, how do you build a business that actually, like, you know, that there's cycles, like, you know, low rates don't last forever. High rates don't last forever. You know, that real estate cycles. And so then how do you build something that actually withstands both cycles instead of just makes money and like a bandit in one and, and the other one like is barely holding on in the other cycle. Like it seems sort of, I don't know, maybe I'm just naive that way, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, and again, I'm really speaking, I assume it's similar to the Canadian market, but I'm not as familiar. And the US market, there's always a huge demand for you know, buying homes, right? And so you know that your baseline, there's at least going to be three, three and a half million real estate transactions, even, you know, in a year like this year with higher rates, right? And mm -hmm. so purchase business doesn't dry up. Refi business is very boomer buff, to your point. It's like better.com makes a ton of money and then they realize, oh, you know. Our whole that, model that was built. Or even these iBuyers that were like buying properties because they knew the market was kind of slowly moving up. You weren't going to get burned. But I mean, I'm not that smart, but I knew when the music stopped, these guys were going to get stuck with huge balance sheets of properties that they're like, shoot, now we've got to try to clear these. And so you see that as a, oh, this is the new thing. Oh, not anymore. Time out. We're thinking, you know, like you got to think through the cycles and be like, is this business going to make sense? Or if it isn't, how do you mitigate that? You know, how do you make sure that you're not like so overextended in that cycle that right. you're like, shoot, you know, having to lay off thousands of people like better. I think it's purchase business. If you have great relationships with realtors, people are going to keep buying houses. They're going to keep sending you yeah. deals and you differentiate that by having an awesome process that is just buttoned up and a realtor feels like they throw a lead over to you. You're going to get them pre-qualified quickly. You're going to give them a great experience. But again, like we're only human. I think that's the point of building systems and leveraging technology is like, look, there is the rare person who's great at making the 10th follow-up phone call. I haven't really met that person. <laughs> Many of those I've people met one. usually. I met one. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, the guy is a beast. He's based out of uh, Houston, Texas, and he will phone and like he is not normal. Like, so that's but, great for him. I'm not. But that yeah, person. but it's it's extremely rare. <laughs> He'll make two, three hundred calls in a day sometimes, which is like yeah. So if you're not doing that, and you can make an argument for that guy, like why not just pay the machines to do it for you, right? And uh, use that time to do something else, right? So I think that's the key. Is we just leverage technology to be that backstop, you know, like the nothing falls through the cracks. I think that's how you win purchase business. That's what we've seen the people that are most successful, you know, on our platform or just in the industry, we work with some of the top producers nationwide. They've got great systems. So they're, you know, in great relationships with realtors and the realtors just feel hundred percent. They can count on throwing this person, their business. Right. I actually have a question for you. So one of the things to talk about, like if you're trying to get your business dialed in is to map out what I call your customer journey from first contact client for life, all the steps. And then there's going to be technology that does some of those steps. Some of it's going to be automation. Some of it's going to be live. If you think of it, like we all sell a commodity. So we have access to mortgages for the most part, the same rates and you know, there's not a lot of difference. And so it's like, we all have hamburger stands and the differences is in how we make the hamburger and how we spice the hamburger and what do we include and kind of like what things we emphasize. And so why I go to your hamburger stand versus someone else's is going to be based on your customer experience, because ultimately you can get access to the same stuff for the most part. So given that you have this CRM, you got lots of users on it. I always think you got to have moments of wow, or those little, whatever their touches, it could be ideas. What kind of things have you seen that have been effective that people are doing? These are useful for me to think about for our agents. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's sort of three categories. There's 
the lead conversion or pre-process, right? So you get a lead, they get pre-qualified and they haven't quite, you know, they aren't under contract on a house yet, right? Then you have sort of the in-process, which is they're under contract and you have, you know, post-close nurture. So they're done. Like, how do you stay in front of them, continue to provide value to them? I think that just to kind of use a couple of examples, the pre-process is really just persistence, if you will, like, you know, getting someone to upload all their documents into an application, it just takes persistence and being there and just continuing to hound them, so to speak. I think once you get into the end process, I think a lot of it is in a way, a mortgage broker or a loan officer, like you're kind of the quarterback in a sense, like, because the only way the person's going to be able to buy a home is if the loan gets funded, right? Like right. you're kind of the quarterback, like that has to be done. And so I think what we see is people really dive deep into the in-process workflows and keeping everyone up to speed with that's going on. So a loan comes back conditionally approved, right? Not only are they automating the outreach to the borrower and co-borrower saying, hey, these are the things I need from you. I really need you to do these things and follow up until they get them in. But they're also letting the realtors, you know, know, hey, look, it came back to ship proof. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't know if you include title on that or whatever, but I think it's just, it creates a really smooth experience when people know what's going on, right? Again, it's like, hey, we're at this point in the transaction. You know, you probably already have an insurance broker. I'd like to introduce you to the insurance broker. I worked with as well to get your home insurance. Because I think what happens is Mm -hmm. like, it all kind of progresses. And then all of a sudden you start to get towards the end of a transaction and just becomes a dumpster fire of, oh, we forgot these things. And people are calling you and it's hard to make sense of what's going on. And of course, the borrower and co-borrower, it's like, they're not having a great experience. But I think just really like kind of, you know, mapping out the journey, keeping everyone mm-hmm. appraised of what's going on throughout the whole process alleviates a ton of stress. And so, you know, we integrate with different review platforms and things like that. And I think what we see is that the people that really map out the journey thoughtfully and keep everyone up to speed significantly decreases the level of stress throughout a transaction. And then they get overwhelmingly better reviews. Than, right. than someone that's really maybe doing using it for the bare minimum, if you will. So I think there's plenty of other places we could dive in. That's just for one example that stands out to me for sure. Right. Yeah. I think about the other day I was chatting with someone about this idea. There's kind of like three parts to the whole mortgage experience. If we go back to the metaphor of the hamburger stand, there's the lead management, right? Which is managing those leads, being quick, following up. There's file management, which is now you have a file moving it from you know, each stage until it's complete. And then there's database management. And so all of those are different before, during and after as buckets. And you have to think about them separately and manage them separately and don't think of it as just one giant thing. Yeah, I think that that's a healthy way to think about your customer experience or customer journey. Okay, so where do you see the future going? Where do you see us in the next couple of years? In terms of technology, what are your, the things that you're keeping an eye on or that you really are going to, especially when it comes to how it relates to the CRM business, because you guys do lead management, file management. And I assume it also has database management mm-hmm. baked in there as well, because I saw like yeah. birthday campaigns. And so you kind of have all three of those in there. But where are you guys paying attention to and watching for the future of the next kind of 12 to 24 months? What we're big on is we didn't used to be this, but I think we've sort of learned that I'd say appropriate kind of applicable content is king, right? And so for us, like we're always creating new campaigns for people to be able to turn on and, you know, whether it's nurturing their database, converting leads, you know, or whatever through the process. But I think kind of one of the things we're seeing, that's a huge opportunity. And some people are starting to think through this is how can I leverage this data that I have, right? And so 
whether it's this database of past clients, you know, like the repeat business for a loan officer is 10%, right? So that's yeah, it's pretty, that's pretty terrible, right. actually. Yeah. So it's how can you use your database to build a relationship, keep in touch with these people? But it's also when you're doing a loan with someone, you know a lot about them, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, if they have a car loan and when that's going to be paid off and it's like, that's in the LOS. And so the point is, is like, can you leverage that data and then reach out to someone, you know, it's, you know, say their car payment is supposed to be paid off in 16 months. Like, Hey, congrats on paying off your car payment. I remember I thought it was going to be paid off around now. Would you like me to run a scenario for you? So if you put the 400 bucks on your car payment towards your mortgage every month, here's how much it could save you in the long run, which, you know, for us 30 year mortgages, it's quite significant. You know, that's just sort of one example. But I think that that's what we've seen across the industry is like, you know, one thing people don't realize is is pharmaceutical drug companies make more money selling their data than they do selling drugs, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. And I think it's it's arguable that loan officers and lenders have access to even more valuable data. Now you can't necessarily sell it, but you can certainly use it to provide a better customer experience, right? So can you bake in workflows where it's like, you know, some of their kids are XYZ, you know, age. So you start to kind of bake in these workflows and triggers around the data to almost have your own predictive analytics engine in a sense, right? I know they're potentially going off to school or getting out of the house at this age. I'm going to reach mm-hmm. out. I know your car loan's paid off, right? So I think, sure, we do the birthday campaigns. We feel like we have some kind of cool, interesting content around that, whatever. But it's like, you know, a lot of people are doing that these days. So what are the unique things you can do that stand out that are automated? but are building a relationship with someone. I think those people that are thinking in those terms can increase that repeat business number dramatically. And so I think for us, it's one, providing the capabilities, which we do, but I think it's also providing, you know, new, fresh, ongoing campaigns. It's like, cool, you know, there's a happy Halloween campaign. Is that going to move the needle for your business? No. So like we want to partner with our customers to make sure that they are getting really fresh ideas that are powerful to drive relationships and no one else is doing. I think people that are thinking in those terms are going to have a good shot at building those relationships and winning repeat business. Right. Yeah. So if you think about it, you have the relationship already, you have the data, and now that you need to apply some kind of, you know, science or software to look for opportunities that are unique in those data sets and then leverage those back using the existing relationships. So that's interesting. I hadn't heard that pharma. I just did a quick search. It says data is pharma's next blockbuster. So that's a huge thing for that. You said that the pharmaceutical companies make money off data, right? It's kind of like a lot of businesses are not what they look like on the surface. Like I watched a thing recently was like the value of airline versus its points plan, the points program. So like an airline that was $5 billion, the points program was 25. It was literally five to one. Like, so it's essentially a loss leader for the points program. Like they didn't even need to make money, which most of them don't, you know, so, but they had to figure out another way to make money and it was these points programs. And so we as mortgage brokers are going to have to apply some creative thinking to these relationships that we have, the data access that we have. And now with these new capabilities that we can run, you know, much more complex algorithms, if you will, or analysis on this data to find opportunities and then go back to the relationship and say, hey, man, I got someone that can help you out. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. But that means get good data, keep it clean. You know, if you don't do that, it costs you a fortune in a few years if you don't have your data organized. Yeah, I think it's three components. It's the data has to come in to a system. There has to be an engine that makes sense of the data and creates workflows Analyzes around it. it. Yep. And then the content goes out, right? And to give yep. you an example like a very successful client of ours, we've you know been kind of done an integration where basically they're getting data from past clients. Like they've of course opted in, but like from the IRS in terms of whether their income goes up or whatever. 
So now it's like they had someone they did a loan with four years ago. Well, they just must have gotten a huge promotion. Their salary doubled or they had a big windfall somehow. They know about it. And that just triggers an outreach saying, hey, you know, just checking in. How are things going for you? It's a good market for investment properties right now. Always looking to kind of connect and provide value in any way I can. Right. And it's like to the person receiving that, like it's like, whoa, this is interesting. What great timing. This is cool. Let's talk about this. But it's highly personalized and customized to where they're at and their needs. And so it's like the people that are doing things like that and thinking in those ways, you know, they're bringing better data into the system. They're setting up their technology in a way that can automate it because look like we just, if you have a database of 10,000 people, you know, you got to hire someone and pay them a full-time salary, or you can just buy (laughs) software that can do it for you. I mean, just buy the software, but then it's, you have the right content, the right messaging going out, you know, those types of workflows are creating a unique experience for those borrowers and giving them a lot of leads, right? And so again, does this stuff matter in a market where is raining refinances? No. Does it matter any other point? Yes, it does, right? And so I think that's the opportunity is, you know, the industry has a little more time on their hands than they did two years ago. So maybe mm-hmm. let's use this time to maximize every I think we'll be better for it, you know, if we use the time and implement better processes. So if people want to find out more about you, where can they find you online, your company and what you guys are doing? I know you're growing really rapidly. You're innovative. So tell me about where people can look you up. Yeah, absolutely. Our website is www.thinkadium. So that's A-I-D-I-U-M.com. So go there to learn more about what we're doing. Take a look at the product or schedule a demo if you want. But again, I think the main thing is, is the encouragement is, you know, look, we'd love to work with you and help you save time and, you know, help you find those new opportunities, like some of the things I was talking about. But if it's not us, like, you know, find someone that can do it for you because there's a lot of opportunities out there and getting the machines to kind of work for you is a great way to save time and make more money. So, yeah. That's, yeah, the that's opportunity the was in the refis. Now the opportunity is going to be in the data, marketing unique campaigns to specific data sets or data groups, Okay. Well, man, hey, great to meet you, Spencer. You know, good luck with your continued growth. And I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Scott. Much appreciated. All right. Thanks again for listening to that conversation with Spencer. Hopefully you got some ideas in terms of trends in technology that you're seeing as well as us. In this next segment, I talked to Reuven from Deeded.ca about why the closing experience matters. Hey, Reuven, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks again for having me. Hey, so uh, what's the topic we're going to jump into today? I love for us to talk about the closing experience and specifically why it matters. Because I think, you know, we have conversations almost every day, a few conversations every day with folks in the broker community. And and it's an interesting conversation that keeps coming back again and again in terms of really understanding the value specifically of why a closing experience matters and how it reflects on all the hard work and all the reputation and goodwill that brokers built with their client and how it can all either go extremely well or it can, you know, literally blow up to pieces. It's kind of the last part of the entire process and you want it to go smooth. Okay. So walk me through some of the things that you think about in terms of like creating a great closing experience. So ultimately it comes down to, again, what's the value of that experience? And ultimately we always ask, brokers, what do you want your clients to say about you at the end of the experience? So if somebody sees you and your housewarming party and they ask, well, hey, how is Scott? How is working with Scott? What do you want them to say about you? And of course, most people will say, well, I want them to say great things. I want them to recommend me. I want them to be my biggest raving fan. And that's where something that we've actually talked about in the past that might be worth you know, bringing up again, 
something called the peak end rule, right? So yeah. typically, if you look at behavioral psychology, most people will remember only two things about any experience, right? So they'll remember the peak. The peak is an exciting point, good or bad. Throughout the high the point, yeah. High yeah. point. So if you think about, you know, maybe you go to a restaurant, your high point might be like a really fancy dessert or, you know, they bring out a cake for your birthday or whatnot. And then they always remember the end, right? So how any experience will end and you can sort of put yourself in so many examples, so many different situations. Like, for example, most people that go to Disney remember the peak, you know, maybe it's Space Mountain, and then they remember the Orlando airport on the way back home, right? And right. Uh, maybe the Mickey ears. Getting stuck in off. traffic, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. standing in line for four hours or something in the heat, you know, that's like a negative experience in the middle, but they don't remember that. That all gets averaged out. So from my understanding exactly. of this whole concept is that, that even though, you know, it could be a rough day, they're going to remember the peak point a month later, and they're going to remember the end. And so what was the end like, and how can we engineer a good end or a good closing? So Okay, what other kind of thoughts do you have on this idea of making sure that we have a good end to the transaction? So for us, it's really a couple things. One is to truly be an extension of the broker's experience. So think about, you know, closing is almost like the third leg of the stool. You've got hunting for a lead, converting him into an application, a submission, they finally get approved. You know, essentially closing is a third part of that. And 99% of consumers, or borrowers will look mm -hmm. at the broker to deliver the entire outcome. And quite frankly, they don't care about all the other players that may be in the process. They don't care about the lender specifically. They don't care about the appraiser. They don't necessarily care about the lawyer, but they're looking to you as the broker to deliver that outcome. So when we apply that end rule, how do we make sure that a closing is really super smooth? And it really starts for us, you know, with step one, which is a very, very smooth handoff. We want to communicate mm -hmm. a really great portal that allows a broker to upload some of their client's information and documents. So we're not coming to the client and asking questions that are probably in the doc. They've already answered. Yeah, exactly. That's always bugged me. It's like, oh, you asked me the questions. Then the next person in the chain, it's like, do you guys not talk? Are you guys not communicating? Like, why are you asking me the same questions that... This other person just asked me. So it is, right, I right. think it's good to have communication between the parties so that it looks better for the customer. Yeah. And then if we take it to the next step, it's really the control or the visibility that we give the broker as well as the broker's client. So if we're looking at our technology, we are essentially, you're able to track the milestones of your closing the same as you would track an Uber or pizza or anything else. So at any given time, you know what's going on, you know if there's any issues that are coming up so you can get ahead of it. And most importantly, we talk to brokers every day. A lot of brokers actually don't even know when their deal actually funded. Right. If you think about it, again, Let's reverse it. And your client's looking at you for that outcome. And yet you're the one that ends up calling them one day randomly and saying, hey, uh, Scott, did your deal actually fund? How did it go? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so totally. all of those things combined make it a much better and a more streamlined experience, which is really what we do well, along with any and all touch points to make it easier for the borrower to go through the process. Like, you know, we're in the industry, we see deals every day for us. It's second nature. You can literally, you know, put on a blindfold and get yeah. a deal done. Right. Yeah. Especially for those of you that are very experienced in the industry for your 
clients, that's not the case. Even if they do two, three deals a year, every deal is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be some quirks. And that would be high. Most people are doing it once every three to five years or longer exactly. sometimes. So they're not going to have any clue about this. And it's exactly. changed it. So yeah, it's important. What I like about what you guys do with your whole, you know, I call it the Domino's pizza tracker. You're not doing pizza, but like you can tell where you are in the process. It tells you where you are, but also how far you have to go. So it's not enough to say, okay, this is where we are, Mr. Customer. That's great, but am I like two thirds done? Am I one third done? Like half done? So I think that's fantastic. And it's sad that we know more about our pizza that we're ordering than we do about what's happening on a loan transaction or a customer knows about what's happening with their mortgage. And I think that that is a massive you know, mistake. We're not taking care of our clients properly. Personally, if I'm the customer, I want to know this stuff. Yeah. You know, so you guys do a fantastic job. Of and you also do a fantastic job of reaching out and letting us know at stages. You know, like you said, no, I, we should know that it closed. That's probably something I should know if it's closed or not. Right. And so not everybody's doing that because they haven't developed a system in place to do it. What are the things you're looking at to reduce friction? Because I know you've got a very good process already, but like, give me an example of some way that you've reduced friction or improved the process, you know, in the last little bit, something, a tweak that you made or something. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of it we find is there's a big education expectation setting piece. Mm -hmm. um, very similar to, you know, how you get on an airline every single time that safety announcement is the same. doesn't matter if this is your first time on a flight or, you know, you fly 150,000 miles a year, you see the same announcement. So for us, right. it's about, you know, educating and having our user essentially understand what the milestones are, what to expect, what's going to happen when. And what that does is just nine times out of 10, it'll make for a very, very smooth process because that expectation set, they know what's right. expected. Of them. So do you do that with a video or how are you setting that? Because you know that's a really good metaphor or analogy. Getting on the plane, they do the same thing every time. Now, you know, yeah. so that it's setting the right expectation of how things are going to go. How are you guys doing that with your business? So a couple of ways. One is we've got a digital app. So we've got a really, really streamlined onboarding process. So mm -hmm. every time someone comes into the process, the first thing they do is they go through that education piece. Here's step one, right. here's step two. Here's some frequently asked questions that we know that most people wonder about, or even again, if they know, it never hurts to reiterate what just to expect. Just like, hey, if the seatbelt lights on, don't get up and wander on yeah. the plane. So you sort of just remind people, right? Right, right. And then, yeah, we use videos, we use different ways of communicating, but also one big expectation that we set is, hey, you know what, we're always here for you and we're always available to answer any questions you might have. And by the way, no question is silly or stupid, right? Because people mm -hmm. do have questions and, you know, they get frustrated and maybe have some anxiety around some things to do with, you know, a transaction of this magnitude. For most people, it's one of the largest transactions they ever yeah. do in their lives. So aside from the education piece, it's also that accessibility, right? Which all connects on the dots to how do you make that experience great? And if someone's there for me, if someone's answering questions, I know what to expect. I know what's happening. I know when it's on time, on schedule versus maybe running a couple of days late. Right. It really makes for that, you know, lasting impression of the consumer to understand that, hey, you know what? Everything went according to plan. I got my outcome love my broker, going to recommend them now, right? Right. And then what I found, you know, being in the business a long time is that when something does go wrong at the end, is that it's usually everybody points the finger at everybody else. Well, it's a realtor's fault for not sending it in. It's a mortgage broker's fault. It's a lender's fault. It's a lawyer's fault. 
And it doesn't really matter. I know um, Boris Bozik would say it's not our fault, but it's our problem. So it doesn't even matter if it's your fault, if you're the broker, it's still your problem. And if you want to maintain a great business, you should be managing that entire process or certainly have a partner that is working with you to make sure that goes well, because not every partner is going to care. Some of them are just like, oh, you know, call up the client. Hey, look, you're short money. And then the client's freaking out. And then you call and realize it was this little error that could be fixed with a phone call. And now the client just has this massive amount of anxiety and looks like you're incompetent for no good reason, just because the partners weren't working together. So I think that's very true. Any kind of last thoughts on this whole thing that you think about and making a great end experience for brokers? Yeah, no, I think just to summarize, it really is, you know, something that if you're growing your business and you are customer experience focused, it's something that really should be on your agenda for 2023 and beyond. And we see that every day in our business. We see the impact of a great testimonial and a great review that comes in and what that does for a broker's business, right? What that Mm -hmm. does in terms of that force multiplier to help you you know, get beyond the chasing the business and having strong base of raving fans and referrals. And like you said, Scott, it's it's about, you know, really making the right decisions of who you're going to incorporate in your process to ensure that, like you said, you know, nine times out of 10, things will go smoothly and that's all wonderful. But that one time, who's going to be there to work with you and not necessarily put you in a situation that may be a little bit uncomfortable and really deliver that outcome for the end consumer so that everyone's happy. And when the consumer wins at the end of the day, everybody wins and we're all connected to that extent. Right. I totally agree. And so if anybody listening to this, go check out Ruben's company, Dita.ca. They have really dialed in this entire experience in terms of the communication with you, with the clients, with the referral partners, you know, and I know you're constantly doing this eliminating friction in the process for whether it's like asking for the same thing twice or just not being clear on stuff. And I think that that's super important that we as mortgage brokers need to navigate that. We're not done just because it's been instructed. Like it's not finished. So don't treat your business that way because it will bite you at some point. So thanks man for coming chat with me. Thanks for having me, Scott. Hey, thanks again for listening to these episodes of my conversation with Spencer and Reuven. Hopefully you left inspired with a few ideas. If you want a whole bunch more ideas, go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account and you can keyword search all of our past episodes. You can search things like technology, like AI, closing, and you'll find every time we mention it, you can jump right to those episodes. It's transcribed. You can read it. You can watch it again or listen to it. And it's very powerful. Check it out totally free at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.